Hey, I just want to say hello to Daystar Church up in Hartsell and Madison. We are one church in multiple locations, and we're glad that we're all worshiping together. Can everybody at all campuses clap your hand for Jesus at the same time? That's super fun. And today we're talking about generational generosity. I am not a pansy preacher. I ain't scared. Preaching on generosity up in the house today. You know, I, I don't want to be a scared preacher. Now, I don't want y'all to do me like they did Isaiah. They hollowed out a log, put him in it, cut him and the log in half. Don't want to go there, okay, but I don't want to back down either. I did preach on generosity one time. A dude called me and, and threatened to uh, burn my house down. Incidentally, that same person is in prison for arson right now. True story. That actually happened. So we're, we're going to be friends today, all right? We're not going to go there. Everybody's going to be fine and happy, and we're going to love each other. But I do believe if the Bible addresses something, we ought to jump right into it. That's why about six weeks ago, I told you what the Bible says about LGBTQ lifestyles. We jumped right into that. And a couple weeks after that, we talked about the role of women in leadership in the church. And uh, those are all biblical topics. And today, we're going to talk about the biblical topic of tithing. See, just one time, I want to say that when the whole house erupts, we're going to do it again. That's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to start over and we're going to cut this for a Facebook video. If anybody missed church, they're going to be like, man, I can't believe I missed it. Are y'all ready? Everybody, everybody chill. So today we're talking about generational generosity and I'm going to specifically talk about tithing. Y'all are my people, I want to tell you. You are my people. All right, here we go. If you're taking notes, write this down. First thing I'm going to show you is that tithing is a timeless principle. That's important because a lot of people think that it's an Old Testament principle, that it's done away with and that we shouldn't be looking at it today. And, but it actually is a principle that runs through the whole Bible. Some people say, well, it was the law. It was the law, but it predates the law. And it's in the law. And it's after the law. In fact, as early as the second chapter of the Bible, God starts talking to us about our stuff. How many of you know we like our stuff? There's never been a generation like the modern American generation who loves stuff as much as we love stuff. I've got more stuff than I've ever needed, ever, ever could have needed and ever had in my life, and yet I still have some stuff that I want. Am I the only one? We all like our stuff. God starts out in Genesis 2 talking about our stuff. He says, the Lord took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree, any tree in the garden, but, everybody say, but. This is the part that is tough. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we know what Adam and Eve did, right? They went right to where God told them not to go because we like our stuff and we don't like it when somebody tells us we can't have all the stuff. God is telling them it's all yours except. And still today, God says the same thing. Everything except the first fruits. First fruits is an Old Testament word for tithes. And although the Bible uh, tells us about the tithe in the law, it transcends the law. The tithe was instituted thousands of year befo years before Moses brought the law down. And, and you see, it's because eternal principles of God were in the law, but they continue beyond the law. That's why I can't steal your wallet and then go, hey, thou shalt not steal is in the Old Testament. 
because it's a principle of God. It's not, it doesn't matter what page it's on in scripture. It is a godly principle. And just because we're under grace today, doesn't mean we throw away the principles of God. Now, some people think that Jesus came to do away with Old Testament teachings, but when Jesus talked about it, he was actually in the Sermon on the Mount, Genesis five, the most famous sermon in the history of the world. He said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In other words, all that stuff is still real. I'm just the fulfillment of it. For I say that unless you, your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the Old Testament people, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus said, I didn't come to lower the bar. I came to raise the bar. He didn't make it easier to serve God. He showed you how to serve, not with your hands and feet or by following rules, but with your heart, by giving God your whole heart. So the righteousness of God, of grace, exceeds the righteousness of the law. Now, you can see this. In the Old Testament, the law tells us, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus in the New Testament tells us, don't even harbor anger or ill will in your heart. Have you ever like thought about hitting someone over the head with a two by four, but you didn't, right? Jesus said, you might as well hit him in the head. Now don't go do it. Okay. <laughs> but what he is saying is you just committed that sin. You did the same thing. If you wanted to kill him, you did in your heart kill him. Jesus didn't lower the bar. He raised the bar. He said the same thing in the Old Testament. When the Old Testament says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know what Jesus said? He says, you know what? If you're looking at that woman with lust in your heart, you already committed adultery. He didn't lower the bar. He raised the bar. And in the same way, you can go to Matthew 23 and 23, and Jesus talks to the scribes and Pharisees about the tithe. And he says, tithing is a bare minimum of what you ought to do. You ought to go beyond that. You ought to not give God just 10% of your money or your life or your time. You ought to give your whole life to God. You ought to sanctify every dollar. Like, you know, there, there are people, the scribes and Pharisees who would give 10% to the temple and then they would live however they wanted with the 90% of their life. And God says, that's not okay. Just because you checked off a box and did this part right doesn't mean you can do this part wrong. Jesus came along and said, tithing is fantastic. Let it be a minimum, but let me have your whole life. Let me have your wallet, your thoughts, your words, your, your affections, where you go, how you treat your family. Jesus just wants it all. <laughs> all right. And so when it comes to tithing, Jesus actually receives your tithes. Watch this. This is something you might not know about. In Genesis 14, you get the first picture of tithing with God and, and, uh, and man uh, through a guy named Melchizedek. When Melchizedek, king of Salem, was brought out, he brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him, him is Abraham. He blessed Abraham and he said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now, the, the, biblical scholars understand this, that Melchizedek is an example of Jesus in the Old Testament. And that Abraham is our spiritual father. And that's not people making that up because they want your money. That's actually what the Bible says in the book of Galatians and in Hebrews, the New Testament it says that Abraham is our spiritual father and Melchizedek is a example, an Old Testament representation of Jesus. Melchizedek is called the king of righteousness or the king of peace. Now, why is that so important? Because there's a lot of Google, I call Google scholars out there. They didn't go to Bible school. 
They didn't go to seminary and they probably don't know the Bible very well, but when something like tithing comes up, they Google it, you know, and they'll give you the Google answer for it. And, and they'll tell you that, you know, that's not important or that tithing is not, not valuable or not that, that important. But if you actually go to your Bible in Hebrews seven, which is a new Testament book written to new Testament churches, which is us, by the way, here, mortal men receive tithes here on earth, human beings, people, but there heaven. Jesus receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. In other words, he says, we are witnesses that Jesus rose. We lived, these are people who lived and saw Jesus die on the cross, rose, ascended to heaven, and they're saying, listen, when you're giving your tithes on earth to mortal men, Jesus is in heaven and he's receiving them. And I want to tell you something. Those of you, there are many of you here today that you are tithers, you're generous givers. Let me tell you, every time you give, Jesus receives what you give. What an incredible thought that I get to give to Jesus. You know, I have been a tither my whole life. I, I was blessed to have been taught it from a child. I've never earned a dime I didn't tithe in my life. Now, that's not me telling you how righteous I am. I'm telling you that that's what our church exists for. Community transformation, changing families uh, around generation by generation by generation. So I'm a second generation tither. My mom and dad taught me that from the time I was just a kid. And, and when I, I didn't get an allowance, but I got to earn money from my dad. And when I did, he, he, he literally took me. They had little tithe envelopes in the pews and showed me how to fill it out, put it in there. And I've done it my whole life. I, I, I mentioned at the Freedom Conference last uh, Friday night, that uh, I had never lived a day without intercessory prayer in my life because my mother's an intercessor. She prayed for me as I was a little boy. And when I went into ministry, there's a whole team of people that are my prayer partners here. And I don't want to live without people praying for me. I'm not sure I'd do life pretty good without prayer. You know, it's like I've never lived without a net underneath me. You know, I don't want to try it. So don't stop praying for your preacher. But in the same way, I've never lived without the blessing of the tither. My mom and dad tithed. They taught me how to tithe. I thought everybody was tithing. I was shocked when I found, I also thought nobody used credit cards without paying them off in 30 days. I literally, I remember going, you, what, are you telling me somebody's paying 19%? Like, I, I couldn't believe anybody was doing that. You know, these are things that I learned as a child and I lived them out my whole life. And let me tell you, that's what our church exists for. Not for making perfect people more perfect, but finding people where they are, showing them who they can be in Christ and letting them transform their family for generation and generation to come. That's our goal. That's a standard. Uh, uh, th that's the mission of our church. And so I've been able to live that. And, and you know what? I know that when you stand uh, in, in, in connection with God's word, God's blessing follows. Let me try this one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're talking about the tithe. Y'all are still with me. I'm planning on this working all day long. Did they cheer in Madison? What do y'all think? Are y'all cheering in Hartzell? I believe they are in Jesus' name. All right, write this down. Tithing is a big test. There is no question about it. It's not easy. It's a big deal. But you can pass it. Listen, if you have not been setting aside 10%, a tithe means 10th. If you've not been giving 10%, that's a real big deal, especially if you're like most Americans who are not living on 90% of their income, but most Americans are living on 110% of their income. Uh, statistically proven. So let me just go ahead and tell you, if there's no God at all, we need to fix that just for math. If there's just math in the world, 
How many know we got to fix America's spending problem? All right, it comes down from our, our government and our whole structure is like there is no tomorrow. And, and, and we've adopted it, even church Christian people living that way. And God designs it better than that. I, I, I try to teach people to live on what I call the 10-10-80 plan. First 10% goes to God. Second 10% goes to my future. I save it. It goes to investments and savings. And then I live on 80%. My kids at home, when their little children get three little mason jars, one says tithe, one says spend, one says save. And they learn from a child where to put that money. And then I sneak, sneak some out of their saving and put it away so they don't know, you know, or they're spending. I mean, I, I sneak it away. All right. But, you know, it, it, it is, it's a standard that is far from the way our world lives. But you remember last week I told you that Romans 12 and 2 says, don't live by the world standard. Don't conform to this standard, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a part of that transformation, walking under the blessing of God. Now, the word tithe is 10th, and, and that number 10 is, a, is meant to be a, a, a test. All through Scripture, the number 10 reminds us of a test, and tithing is a huge test. In fact, I'll, I'll let you fill in the blanks here. How many commandments did God give us? 10. It's a test. How many plagues did Egypt fall under? Do you remember? 10. It was a test. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? I bet you know 10. How many times did God change Jacob's wages and test him? 10. In Daniel 1, how many days was Daniel tested? 10 days. In Matthew 25, there were some virgins that were tested to be ready for the bridegroom. How many virgins were there? How many disciples did Jesus have? Gotcha. That was a test. Okay. No, that was 12. But the number 10 is a big test. And if today you're thinking or hearing about the idea of, 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 of tithing for the very first time, it's a big test. Uh, it, 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 it might feel like walking up to the front porch and trying to step up on a three-foot porch with no steps. You might need some steps to get there, all right? You might need to pray about that and ask God to lead and guide you. But I will tell you, it is God's will for you because it's in God's word. And when, when you follow God's word, God releases his blessing over you. Can I hear an amen to that? So, so here are some benefits. I'm going I'm to wrap up with these three. Benefits of tithing. Number one, I get to be like Christ. I get to be like Christ. We just read where Jesus actually receives the tithe. I told you Matthew 23 and 23, Jesus says, yes, you ought to tithe. When asked about it directly, you ought to tithe. But in, in a bigger way than that, Jesus proved his own generosity to us when he gave of himself, left heaven, came to earth. The Bible says God so loved the world. Come on, fill in the blank. For God so loved the world that he you see that? Loving and giving are connected. I told you last week that you can give and not love. Big corporations do it all the time. It's a write-off. It's a, a political thing. It's, it's marketing. You can certainly give and not love, but you can't love and not give. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so Jesus proved his own generosity by dying for our, our sins, coming from heaven to earth. And, and so when I become a tither, that's my number one goal. Not that I want money, not that I want to be able to stand up here and say, hey, I'm a tither, I'm holier than you. Let me tell you, I might be better at tithing. You might be better at temperance. I, I holler at people. 
usually not to their face, usually through a windshield, you know, they don't hear me, you know, but I have temper issues on the highways. Okay. I'm not up here. I don't get to preach because I'm perfect. I just know what it says. I'm telling you what it says. Okay. Uh, You you don't tithe because you want to tell everybody how holy and perfect you are. That's not what it is. You don't tithe because you you want people to think well of you. You tithe because you want to be like Christ. You want to fulfill his mission. You want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Look at this second one. I get to be blessed. I don't tithe because I want to be blessed, but you can't disconnect giving from receiving. It always happens. Jesus said, if you give, I'll give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. The founder of the Kraft Corporation, J.L. Kraft, you know, was a huge giver and and philanthropist. He always gave 10% to his church. And when asked why and how do you keep giving it away, he says, I shovel money away by giving. And God shovels money back to me and God's shovel is bigger than my shovel. That's a good way to put it, you know. I don't give to be blessed, but I know when I do, I'm going to be blessed. Malachi 3 says, when I become a tither, God throws open the windows of heaven and pours out blessing on me. That's Malachi chapter 3. Now, it occurs to me, (laughs) what would happen if we opened the windows of your house? What would fall out? Lint, curtains, you know, a coaster on the windowsill. (laughs) But in heaven... The blessings are piled so high (laughs) that if you just open a window, they start to pour out. What that tells me is God's got what you need. You can't buy it. Can't give money to this church and God gives it to you. That's, That's not how it works. But you know what? When you're fully his and then the time is just right, he's got what you need. You need a miracle in your life. You need an answer to prayer. You've got a decision. You need wisdom on what that decision is. God has what you need, and when you fully give yourself to him, he's going to bless you with what you need. I'll give you an example of this in Second Chronicles chapter 31. I was going to read it. It's a long passage, but you can read it for yourself. But Israel is in a time of uh, just rebellion to God. They're in spiritual uh, pro- uh, depravity and uh, unrighteousness. They're spiritually starving, and they're also physically starving. And so a new king takes over. His name is Hezekiah. He's a very godly man. And Hezekiah says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tithe our way out of this mess. They're starving. They, they tithe not by bringing money, but they are an agricultural society. They bring grain and livestock. And, and, and produce. And he says, you don't have enough food to eat. Here's what you need to do. You've stopped tithing. That's why you're starving. Let's start tithing. And so out of extreme pain and hunger, they give 10%. And what happens is over time, you can read that whole thing. The 10% starts piling up because the 90% eventually gets larger than the 100% used to be. Is there any tither in this room that can say, amen, that that actually happens? You've got, you got a hundred percent. That's not enough. And then you, I, I did it myself. When Leslie and I first got married, we, 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 I don't even want to tell you how little we made because you'll think I'm 147 years old, but we made so little. We said, you know what? We're going to starve on this amount. Let's starve on, on 90% of that amount. Okay. I'm telling you, and it, and it happened. It, it happened in second Chronicles 31. They started tithing and eventually their 90% got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so when the King showed back up three different times in that chapter, it says that the tithe was piled up in heaps. That's probably why every preacher knows where it is. When you say that there's heaps of tithe, preachers are like, I know where that verse is. It just piles up. It's bigger and bigger. And so when the king shows back up, he says, what's happened? Are you taking all the food and all the grain away? Are the people starving? And the priests say, no, they've never done better. Because what happens is when you, when you tithe, it initiates an upward spiral of blessing in your life. 
It tells you, God, I'm trusting in you. I don't want to tr- see God's a jealous God. He doesn't want you trusting in your money, your job, your intellect, your ability. So everybody's got different challenges. For some of you, this money thing is a real challenge. Hearing a preacher talk about it really bothers you. I know it because I'm a skeptic. I'm more skeptical than you are, all right? I want to know what the guy's angle is. That's why I always tell people when I teach on giving, give it somewhere else. You think I want your money? You passed a church on the way that needs it more than this church. Give it, give it to them. Just give it to that church and see if I'm not telling you the truth. Listen, that's, that's your issue maybe. Maybe for other people, it's like you are a know-it-all. And, and you have a hard time trusting in things that you can't see or put your hand on. For others of you, maybe your issue is you're a control freak and you like to control it. I'm naming all my problems, by the way, for some reason. I know it all and I'm a control freak. But you like to control things. And the hard part for you is to release control. Maybe for you it's anger issues or you have fear problems. I'm telling you, God is a just and loving God and a father who trusts you and believes in you. So here's what he's going to do when you're unwilling willing to take that step of faith, he's going to step right behind you and just keep kind of pushing. For some of you, this is an uncomfortable message because this is your issue. And God's just going, no more. You can do it. You can get there. Peter, you can step out of that boat. You can walk on water in the same way that I I, I remember my son, when he was just a baby, trying to get him to jump off the truck into my arms. I wanted him to stand on the very top of the truck and jump down into his father's arms. He wouldn't do it. I had to first put him on the tailgate and just let him step off the edge. And before long, I put him on the hood and let him sort of fall over to me. And then I put him up on the top and he would jump. And now he tore the roof off the thing. I should have left him on the tailgate. But at any rate, like a father will do, he will find your area of hesitation and he'll push you in that way. And see, when you step out in faith, he rewards that by blessing you. Anybody that's ever been blessed by the Lord after you were generous, can you give me an amen? Amen. He's been so good. Here's the last thing. If you're taking notes, write this. The benefit of tithing is that I get to be a part of God's plan. Do you know that God's got a plan in the earth and it's not to build church buildings and be all holy and stained glass and me to put on a suit and tell everybody how good and perfect I am and you better straighten up. It's not God's plan. That's religion. God's plan is to change people's lives. God's plan is that students graduate from high school and they go on and they're benefited and blessed. God's plan is that uh, young families don't get in uh, financial problems and, and, and that young husbands don't cheat on their wives and, and older husbands don't cheat on their wives. And God's plan is that addiction is broken and set for God has a plan to invade your life. Now, not, not just be something you try to straighten up and clean up yourself and show up on Sunday and give a little bit of money. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to radically invade our culture and change our world. I have said from the beginning that if they start church in our community, it doesn't matter how big the building is, or how many members there are, how much money comes in. If the community is not different because we are here, we should have never come here. God's plan is not for another building to be built and people to sing three songs and hear a preacher tell you how to live your life. God's plan is to radically invade the community. And when I give, I get to be a part of God's plan. And see, you're a part of a church that is literally transforming the community one family at a time. See this story. I'm Jason Witt. I'm Amy Witt. So our story began when we met in October 2016. We, we were married for about a year. Um, things were great, I think, for the first couple months. I knew somewhere in there that there was you know, a problem, but it finally got to the point 
to where uh, we split up. When we split up, um, I quit going to work. I moved back to my mom, and I was just drinking. I got really bad on the Tiana. I was, like, taking 15 a day. Gives you that kind of feeling. Uh, we still were not attending church. Uh, we still were not living right. So I went to rehab, obviously with not the right mindset. Came home, um, was in the hospital three days later, going through detox. At that point, I was tired of it. I mean, I was still doing my thing, but as far as taking the pills, but once he came back home and started back drinking, that, that did it for me. We split for good then. I actually got so bad um, that I tried to hang myself one night, but that wasn't enough, like, to wake, wake you up, that wasn't enough. I knew that he needed to find somewhere else to go, so I was gonna help him find a place to go to. Living Free was the first place that I called, and he stayed there for the three months. God was working in him in a major way. I mean, I knew when I picked him up and he came back, went to Living Free, and we started going to Daystar, I seen a huge change in him. And I wanted us to work, and I knew in order for that, that we both had to be clean. I was building that fire, you know, inside. And um, first time I went to Daystar, she came to, and uh, like, I just felt it. Like, hey, let's, let's do more than just go to church. Let's, let's join, let's go to next steps. Let's, let's serve, let's be members. This is when I could start seeing a change in her. You know, things just started coming together. I got so humble. You know, I made it to 100 days sober, and then, you know, before I knew it, it was six months sober, and I'm like, like I'm six months sober. So we, we start talking about getting married. You know, hey, we're living this life now, and now we're starting to feel a little guilt because we're not married anymore. It's time to take the next step and, and be pure. So our plan was to get married and then get baptized together. So I tell Pastor Tom, he's like, no, 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 do it now. So without hesitation, I was like, we're getting baptized next, next week. It's like a breath of fresh air now. That's why I thank God every morning for another opportunity, another day of His breath. I would have never thought that we would be right here now, like four or five years ago. It just says, it still doesn't seem real, honestly. If we could tell the entire world, it's possible. God loves you too, and is always there for you. Just give it over to him. And now, <laughs> we are married. And now we've been married uh, for a few weeks now. Daystar family is our only family, really, and we absolutely love it. Hey, how about that? Come on, give it up for the Witt family. Wow, what a testimony. That's what a church is meant to do, to go right into somebody's world and say, God's powerful enough to change all that. You've tried it. You tried to turn over a new leaf. You prayed a prayer. You didn't work. God's power is enough to do that. And you know, your generosity empowers all of that. Just last week at our church, 110 people 
made commitments to Christ either to rededicate their lives or make first-time commitments. 34 people were baptized. 58 people testified they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you give God one week at Day Star Church? And you might not know this, but we established a... Um, uh, NGO, it's called an NGO in Uganda, so that we could start new churches all over Uganda. And it took about a year to get that all together. And in January, about middle of January, I went over there. There's a team there right now, by the way, Pastor Kip and Pastor Matt. But in January, I went over there and we established Daystar International Ministries so that we could plant new churches. You know, we serve orphans over there. We have schools for refugees of war. I mean, it's an incredible, we sent tons of food. Hey, we gave 1.5 million pounds of food to North Alabama this year already. I mean, this is incredible, but we've been doing stuff like that in Uganda. So we, we were legally allowed to start uh, planting new churches in Uganda starting in January. And in 18 weeks, y'all, we have planted 57 new churches. There's 4,300 people that's been saved. And over 2,200 people have been baptized in water. How about we give God praise for that? <laughs> See, the Bible talks a lot of stuff at the end times about how terrible things are going to be. And I didn't, if I had more time, I'd read you all this stuff about people loving money and proud and arrogant and disobedient and loving pleasure and being reckless and treacherous and all that stuff. Jesus said that they'll be lawless and they'll love, uh, their love will grow cold. And I could preach about that. A lot of churches want to talk about that. But two verses later, Jesus told us our part at the last days. You ready to see your part? Here's our part. Verse 12 says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. That's our part, that we're going to get to share the love of Jesus. The gospel is not just a preacher stood up on Sunday. It's how you live the gospel where you work and where you go to school, and it's the missions effort. And the Bible says, when we've shared the gospel to the whole world, then will appear into heaven a sign of the Son of Man. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I wonder, does anybody still believe Jesus Christ is coming again? And that's what we're living for. And Jesus said, it all comes down to your heart. More than anything else, generosity is about your heart. Where is your heart? Now, this feels a little bit weird having a big old dude like this bring me a red heart balloon. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan. So I got me a heart right here, and I got a little bit of my treasure attached to it. And, and, and by the way, before I get into this, this is going to be a really offensive illustration. I just want to get you all ready for it. And when you get mad about it, I want you to get mad at Jesus. Because Jesus said where your what treasure is, there your will be also. See, we have this fiction in our mind that says, yeah, you know, I, I spend all my money on technology. I'm a real tech geek, but, you know, my heart is really over here with Jesus. And the truth is, you can't disconnect the two. Well, my heart is really into world missions. Now, I don't, I don't really give any money to world missions but, or the gospel. I don't really can't give, but my heart really is for Jesus. And the truth is, you can't disconnect the two. You can't say, I'm going to put my money in one thing. And I'm going to keep my heart somewhere else because the two go together. And again, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Jesus said that. And it really is true. Show me your wallet and I'll show you your heart. Because Jesus said the two are forever connected. 
And if I want to get my heart right, you know, I put my money in the right place, my heart will end up there. Right? If my heart is really in the right place, eventually, my money's going to end up over there. And I'm not proving this because I brought a balloon. (laughs) Jesus said it in his words. And here's the other thing about your heart. It desperately wants to go to be with God. I mean, your heart is crying out for it. And something holds it back. And it's not your money. Money doesn't hold your heart out of the kingdom of God. It's me. It's the way I view money. It's the way I view my time. It's the way I view my intellect or whatever that it, the fear, whatever that issue is. And what God really wants you to do, we are white knuckled people. We like to control and hold things back. But what God really wants you to do is just completely let go. And just let your heart go into his presence. And when that happens, some other stuff's going to go up there too. Some of your money's going to get there. I don't know how that balloon's going to come down. But I'm totally fine with it staying up here for several weeks so that each week when you come and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to tithe. (laughs) No, what, what God wants is your heart. God does not need your money. This church does not need your money. This preacher does not need your money. What God wants is your heart. And this is a good time to ask yourself, where is my heart? Does God really have my heart? Or I just have a little bit of guilt and I come to church to appease my guilt? Or do I just, you know, have a divided heart that some of my heart is with God and some of my heart is somewhere else? God wants all of your heart. Every area that you would hold back from Him, He wants you to release it. If it's money, if it's fear, if it's control, if it's faith, whatever, if it's family, if it's your temper, whatever that area is, God wants you to release that into His presence.